Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theater Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theater Wing. We're joined today by the noted critic, John Simon. John has three new books out, just uh, released earlier this year, John Simon on Music, John Simon on Film, and important for today, John Simon on Theater. Each book is a collection of reviews, critiques that John Simon has written. John, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Welcome, John. Um, I want to start, if it's not uh, too presumptuous of me, by reading just a very small section of the beginning of the book, John Simon on Theater, which represents your criticism from 1974 to 2003. And this is an author's note just inside, the, just past the, the copyright information, even before the table of contents. But I found it really fascinating, so if you'll indulge me. Times change, the saying goes, and we change with them. I have kept these reviews unchanged for historical reasons, but for the same reasons I must warn the reader that some of my present views have evolved in different directions. That change is reflected in certain later reviews, some of which did not make it into this book, and continues as I keep living and learning. Though I am no spring chicken, I hope applause will someday bring out another collection before I am a dead duck, a book that might surprise the old John Simon no less than the old John Simon reader. As you prepared this book, what was it like to re-examine all of the work that you've written over the past 30 years? And I should say not just this book, but all of the books, the theater, film, and music. Well, it was actually a pleasant surprise. <laughs> um, famously, Jonathan Swift, in a similar situation, exclaimed, What genius I had then! Well, I didn't feel that I had any special genius then vis-a-vis any special genius I might have now. But I was pleasantly surprised that uh, the stuff was uh, quite good and that I had no complaints. And in a few cases, there actually were some words that I didn't know anymore and which I was very happy to look up, but not many. But in, in this author's note, you suggest that you have changed over time. And I'm wondering whether there are opinions, there must have been opinions you held then that you don't necessarily hold down. Yes, and yes, Where, yes, where yes. do you think the most marked changes have become? Well, for example, I mean, I don't know all of these things off the top of my head, but I do know that about Steve Sondheim, I have become much more positive than I used to be. And some people questioned me about that. And I said, look, I was wrong in my younger days. I I wasn't quite up to him, and now I am, and uh, now I'm much more appreciative. And what do you think made that happen? Just getting older and uh, wiser, I hope, and uh, more mature, and hearing those things again and again, and realizing that I was wrong, and not being ashamed to admit it. Well, if you were to take a look at some of your early reviews, I should point out the book covers 1974 through 2003. Certainly not all of your reviews, and they've written far too many, but a a pretty representative sampling. Are there any from the earlier years you would go back to and rewrite if you now in your current mood as opposed to the way you might have been back then? Well, you know, I I, I don't believe in rewriting. I think what you can do is you can use a future occasion to amend your position. And the next time you review something by Sondheim, you can say, when I reviewed such and such, I was wrong, or something of that sort. 
But I don't. I think whatever you once said and what got into print should remain for historic reasons. Um, this is how wise or unwise this critic was at the time, and this is how much he has evolved or changed his mind. And perhaps he was wrong now, and maybe he was more right then. But this should all be available. Well, some of your uh, Sondheim reviews were pretty scathing, to put it mildly. In 1987, Into the Woods, you wrote... Yet that Sondheim can no longer write melodies is old news. The new news is that he is even losing his touch with his fort lyrics. Have you changed your opinion uh, on that review, but well, also yes. of his later work? Oh, certainly, certainly. Into the Woods is not one of my favorite. wasn't then and isn't now. But I'm sure it's better than what I said there. And um, other things where I've been tough, I think I was wrong. I think those things were much better... Then I made them out to be, and something like Follies, I almost think may be, along with Pal Joey, one of the two or three top musicals in the entire repertoire. Well, you did a review of Follies at uh, Paper Mill Playhouse in yes. New Jersey, which was pretty good review. Yes, I did like pretty that. Pretty positive, yeah. Oh, yes, oh, yes. The only really sad thing was the dreadful production at the Roundabout, mm -hmm. which was terrible. Before we talk more about the material in the book. Can you just tell us, you, you've been such a fixture, and, and in the introduction, we didn't cite that for 27 years, 28 years, you were the primary critic of New York Magazine. So 36 you, and a half. 36 and a half. 36 and eight months, I believe mistake. you said. Or something like that. <laughs> my mistake. Yeah. Um, you were certainly a key voice in the American theater scene, and certainly in the New York theater scene. How did you get into it? Well, you know, the old joke is the Ratcliffe girl in the whorehouse asked the same question, saying, just lucky, I guess. <laughs> and um, I suppose part of it is luck, but part of it is being in the right place at the right moment. Uh, part of it is um, having someone influential. For example, I got the job at the Hudson Review, which was my first drama critic job, um, I got it because Bob Brustein was leaving for the New Republic, and he had met me and liked me, and he recommended me to the editors of the Hudson, and that's how that came about. Well, what had you been doing up to that time? Oh, I was freelancing. I was doing this, that, and the other thing in various places. Um, do, do, doing cr uh, criticism? Doing oh, yes, yeah. yes, mm -hmm. always, always. I did some a few interviews, too, especially on television. I mm -hmm. did a few of those. Otherwise, it was always criticism. Well, does one just decide to become a critic, or do you just... Well, I think I think one may be born to be one. Uh, I think if you uh, are a difficult, uh, querulous, uh, perfectionist uh, person when you are six or seven years old, as I seem to have been, mm -hmm. uh, then it just goes right on, and eventually it comes into print. Somebody wrote that you must have been a precocious child, were you? Oh, I think so. I think so. <laughs> w would your mother and father have said that, do you think? I'm sure they did. They've said worse things, too. <laughs> So over that time, were there directives on you about how to cover theater, or were you totally given free reign to cover what you chose to cover, to say what you chose to say? I was always 99.99% .99 free to cover what I wanted to cover and what I said. I think there may have been every once in a blue moon there may have been a suggestion to do this or not to do that. And we should say that certainly for those who have not read your writing, 
um, and now have the opportunity. Are there such people? There, there may be a few. <laughs> I hate to break it to yeah. you, but they now have this opportunity yeah. with the books. Um, certainly, there was you were you were known for being at times an exceedingly harsh critic, um, and and calls for your head came periodically throughout your career from people who who reacted negatively to what your negative reactions had been. What was the response from your editors in that time? Well, all of my editors who did begin to publish me uh, continued to publish me. The only place where I was dropped once was Channel 13 Television, because some columnist obstreperously objected to my review of Marlene Dietrich's solo evening, which I think I was perfectly right about in retrospect. Uh, And Channel 13 chickened out. And the other thing was now uh, New New York after 36 years and eight months. Thank you for the correction. uh, (laughs) um, Because they said they wanted a fresh point of view. I should point out that Channel 13 is the public television station here in New York. Our listeners outside of New York may not be aware of that. A very well-regarded TV station. Um, so, I forget, what was your question? How did I well, respond just, to just this? Just your, well, I was asking about your editor's response, but I guess uh, y- you lead to, the, to another interesting one. What was the impact on you, if any, of yeah. these, the, often, as I said, these, these calls for your head, these assaults on you well, for the, what you had said? Well, the editors, as I say, never really objected. There were one or two times when I was uh, censored, uh, for example, when I said in the New Leader that Barbara Streisand is the sort of thing that starts pogroms. <laughs> but uh, other than that, uh, which was highly unusual, um, I was not. And as to me, I mean, I don't care. You know, I have not that much respect, alas, for most of my colleagues. And even if I did, they're entitled to think I'm too harsh. Um, doesn't bother me. I may think that they're not harsh enough, and I suppose it doesn't bother them. As a, but as a person who professes, and and certainly I know from, from the time that I've known you, genuinely loves theater, to place yourself in a position of sometimes being attacked by the very people who make theater, and indeed putting yourself in the position of, of attacking them... Well, that, that it's it. It is clearly you've ta- you've you've always held an adversarial role as a critic. Well, not not because I wanted to, only because around me there was too much uh, mollycoddling and soft headedness going on. To me, this seems a perfectly natural attitude. The old Latin saying, "Quis bene amat, bene castigat." Who loves well, castigates well, and I've subscribed to that. I've also subscribed to. Martin Luther's position, then was von mir der Esel spricht, das achte ich nicht. What the donkey says about me, I couldn't care less about. So uh, I, I don't think of myself as being particularly harsh. I think of myself as being just, and justice can be strict. Well, your, your job description in a word is critic. How do you define the role of a critic? Well, I've always said that a critic has to be able to do three things. One of them is write as well as any other writer, novelist, short story writer, 
dramatist, what have you. Two is to be a teacher and enjoy being a teacher because everybody's education, my my own included, uh, ends too soon. And the critic continues where the classroom left off. So it's being a teacher and enjoying it and being a good teacher. And thirdly, it's being a thinker. It's being able to look out at the world and reflect about it, think about it, philosophize about it, because, let's say, theater deals with life, and therefore one has to have views of life as well as views of theater. Well, the introduction to your book, your new book, John Simon on Theater, was written by the noted uh, director Jack O'Brien, and in that he says, these are his words now, Simon has said repeatedly that a critic speaks merely for himself, for his own taste. How do you define your taste? Well, that is hard to do. I think perhaps other people could do it better than I can. Uh, I think my taste has been good. And beyond good taste and bad taste, I don't make any differentiations. But what, of course, what is good taste is a question of aesthetics and, and a rather complex one. And books have been written about it, and anything said in a couple of sentences is apt to be very superficial. I think it has to do with having been well-educated, having been well-brought-up, having been exposed to a lot of things, having traveled, having read a lot, having talked to intelligent and knowledgeable people a lot. And out of all this, you fashion your taste, which you assume is good. One of the things that always struck me reading your reviews, and as a a former press agent, there was always a tendency people wanted to try to guess and say, well, what do you think a critic will think of this? One thing that always struck me was the number of times you praised shows that weren't necessarily the most intellectual or the most challenging, but often were just very small, even miniatures, that you praised for because they achieved what they achieved on their own terms. Yes, I don't think one should be bamboozled by huge production values and fancy Broadway um, set and costume and whatnot design. Uh, I think one should evaluate each thing, first of all, on what it tries to be, and then secondly, and some people stop there, which is wrong, and second of all, on whether what it tries to be is worth being. And if, however modest, however small, however poor in terms of financial resources a production is, if it has a worthy aim and if it accomplishes that aim, I respect it and like it and love it as much as anything else. That's good. Well, once again, going to the introduction that was written, introduction to your book written by Jack O'Brien, he writes... You simply, uh, let me take that again, you couldn't simply dismiss a Simon review if it were a pan, and you couldn't smugly share in the joy were it a rave. John was always too far ahead of the class, outstripping everyone else in both knowledge, history, reference, and that one element without which any critic can be dismissed as merely a reviewer. He had standards. What are John Simon's standards? Well, again, uh, it's hard to put that into few words. One's standards are as I think has already almost come out from what we've said here, it is having good taste, being able to write well, uh, being one's own strictest critic, not allowing anything hasty or sloppy or not thought out to get into print, uh, 
invoking the same standards of uh, of criticalness toward your own work as you do toward others, uh, and knowing how to express it in ways that are both interesting to read and uh, can, one hopes, stand the test of time. And, and just going on with uh, what um, Jack O'Brien wrote, his next sentence was, standards of authenticity, of beauty, of skill required, of pronunciation, grammar, even God help us, line readings, all of which he could summon up, rifle through, reference, and apply without hesitation, and with an almost infuriating accuracy. Well, <laughs> I, <laughs> all I can that? say is that's yeah. lovely, and I hope it's true. If, it, if what he says is true, then I have truly accomplished what I set out to do. Well, as we look at this massive book, 800-plus pages of, of reviews, yet it still is only a small portion of the writing over, over that 38 years and eight months. Yes, there was talk of a CD-ROM, but they clamped out on that. (laughs) How did you decide what went into the book? What what were the choices you were looking to make? Well, I had a young graduate student in theater uh, at Columbia uh, as a sort of assistant, and we went over these things together. And he was very knowledgeable about what colleges are doing and what regional theaters are doing and so forth. So we tried to pick those things which are being revived or done all over the country, if possible. Those things where the review had something special to say, even beyond just evaluating the thing itself. Those reviews which were longer and therefore are more abundant, more thoughtful, those reviews perhaps which were wittier and more fun to read. So there were these various standards, and sometimes when we omitted something, we did it very regretfully because in some ways we thought it should have been in there, but because we were given a certain page number, which subsequently even got shortened by the publisher. It was shortened to 830-some-odd pages. Yeah, it was originally they had said 1,200 pages, and then they chickened out. So So what are a few of the regrets? What are a few of your reviews that that you you wish were being preserved in this particular volume? Well, uh, again, you see, this is not something I go around memorizing, and, and I wouldn't know. I know, for example, that my wife said, that we can't invite Tommy Tune to the publishing party because I've said some naughty things about some of his work in here. And then she said, of course, you've said some very nice things about his other work, but those didn't get into the book. I imagine those were of shows that that went very quickly and didn't have any legs, were seen by very few people, uh, something of that sort, because basically I'd just as happily print a favorable review as I would an unfavorable one. But a review in a newspaper or magazine is kind of a fleeting moment. It, it disappears the next day. Oh, People yes. don't, don't really keep it. Here we have a book now that's going to be preserved for a long, long yes, time. Yes, that's what annoys my wife because she <laughs> thinks a lot of nice people are getting short-changed. I'm not so sure about that. You've had the extraordinary opportunity to go to theater constantly for 40 years here in New York, some in London, some abroad as well. Since we're not asking you to recall any specific review... It was more than, quite a bit more than 40 years. Okay. 
what are the trends that you have seen that you think have been positive in theater in that time, either styles, topics, authors, who, who, who you really have enjoyed seeing? Well, you know, and I think this is the right position to take. I try not to have any favorite styles. I don't care if something is a is a not very profound musical but charming and well done. I don't care if something is a very avant-garde work which tries to be very different and maybe succeeds. I don't care if something is old-fashioned but awfully well done. So I don't really look at trends and I don't really trust trends because from having a somewhat historical view of things, I know that trends come and go and they are not what matters. Ultimately, there's a quality that lies under the surface trend that matters. And therefore, whether something is in this particular mode or that particular mode is of much less interest than what it's trying to say and what it succeeds or doesn't in saying. And so, you know, if you ask me about trends, well, I've seen things like absurdism, for example, uh, which um, or I've seen sort of late offshoots, let's say, of surrealism. I have seen um, naturalism that keeps cropping up, and why shouldn't it? Those are all equally acceptable to me. The question is, what does the author do within that particular mode? And so who are the authors that you've most enjoyed seeing the work of over well, these years? Well, this is a, a tricky question because I'm sure I'm going to forget someone that I love. And the moment Well, I, that's why we're taking it positive and it doesn't have to be everyone, just some that yeah, come I to mean, mind. For example, I've always been a big champion of Lanford Wilson, although he hasn't always been a big champion of me. Uh, I have always liked... Um, uh, What's oh, you see uh, sight unseen? What's what's the matter? Donald Margulies. I've always liked Donald. Well, not always, but almost always liked Donald Margulies. I think he's a very fine writer. Uh, I've mostly liked Tennessee Williams, though I've had some serious issues with him. But why not? Um, I have mostly not liked Arthur Miller, but again, why not? Um, I have liked late Eugene O'Neill very much, and I've liked early Eugene O'Neill, but I haven't liked middle Eugene O'Neill very much. Um, there are others. I've, I've liked Marcia, a couple of plays by Marsha Norman very much. Uh, I've liked um, several plays by, uh, by Tina Howe a lot. So, you know, it's, it's, I don't have a list. It's in, okay. Yeah. How about uh, composers and lyricists? Well, obviously, in my, in my, uh, how should I say, improved form, Stephen Sondheim, <laughs> Adam Gettle, uh, uh, Candor and Ebb quite often, uh, um, quite often Lerner and Lowe, again, not always, um, Kurt Weill, certainly, and various lyricists who worked with him, starting with Brecht, but on and on, and uh, probably a lot of others. I, I and f further on that uh, same same direction. How about performers, actors, actresses? Well, again, that that's for some reason that that 
that's hardest for me to remember. Well, you you, you wrote you wrote a, a review of uh, a revival of Hello Dolly, which I just I just love this one sentence, a couple sentences here. When Hello Dolly, this is um, a revival thirty one years yeah. later. When Hello Dolly was first done in nineteen sixty four, it starred Carol Channing, sounding like a Carol Channing with a frog in her throat. Now, 31 years later, it sounds like a Carol Channing sounding like a frog with Carol Channing in its throat. Either way, it's a phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, well, I like Carol Channing. I <laughs> Apparently. think she's fun. And, and I like, you know, just that Mary Louise Parker pops into my head. Uh, mm, what am I trying to say? Uh, um Lila, Lila what? Lila Robbins. Lila Robbins pops into my head, or halfway pops into my head. Um, but there are probably dozens of others. Uh, I think um, um, uh, Raul, um, what am I trying to say? Raul Esparza now? Raul Esparza is a wonderful actor. Mm -hmm. I love him. Uh, doesn't, but you know, when I'm put on the... Well, we won't. We yeah. won't. We won't keep you it's, on the on the but, spot but, on but that. But there, there are others. You know, Philip Bosco who happens to be a friend of mine. But he's not a good actor because he's a friend of mine. He's a friend of mine because he's a good actor. Mm -hmm. Well, that comes back to an interesting thing that I was is getting at earlier. And and I'm going to read another quote from you. Mm -hmm. John John's quoting the book, uh, and Jack O'Brien on you. But I'll I'll quote you. Um, you were asked uh, on the occasion of your transition from New York Magazine to now we've not yet said writing for Bloomberg News um, that um, you were asked how you would like to be remembered by Time Out New York. And you said, I would like to be remembered as a seemingly formidable and fearsome person, but underneath a pussycat. And in relation to that, what I was asking about how you relate to what people think of you as a writer, I have always been struck by your ability to have friendships with the people in theater, even though you have never put boundaries and said, I will always praise this person because they are my friend. Right. or yeah. and, and how have you managed to, to maintain the social relationships in the face of being an, an unswerving critic? Well, first of all, there aren't that many such friendships. In fact, there are the few. But there are some. Uh, and... I have lost a few friends because of having previously given them a good review, but now a not good one. And there have been people like Maximilian Schell, for example, and I'm talking of him as a director, not as an actor. Sometimes I've liked the movies he made, and then he was my friend, and sometimes I haven't liked them, and then he was not my friend. Uh, these things happen, but uh, there are others with whom I have steadily remained friend, and they're civilized enough to realize that a, I may be wrong sometimes, and B, they may have been wrong sometimes, and C, we don't have to agree on everything, and so we manage to be our friends. Um, there are a few egos that are very fragile, and in the case that I have just once not been nice to them, I lose that friendship, but I've got to live with that. Well, over the, the decades that you've been a critic, which means you've seen probably more than 10,000 productions over the years. If you take yes. 50 years times 200 a year or something like that, you yeah. do the multiplication. Yes, a lot of shows, a lot of shows, me, yes. both plays and musicals. If mm -hmm. you had to pick one musical and one play as the must-see shows of all time, something that a person must see in their lifetime, the best musical, the best play, keeping in mind that what Jack Simon said about you, that a critic writes for his own tastes, in your Jack estimate... Who? Jack O'Brien. Uh, Jack O'Brien. Did I say... Yeah, yes. Jack, uh, yeah. Jack O'Brien. Yeah, well, look... 
this is something I, I'll do it because you're nice guys and you <laughs> want me you. to. But I hate doing it because there isn't one thing that one thinks is that much better. Just as a parent has, if he's a good parent and has six children, he doesn't really think this is my best child. And if I had to anthologize my children, I'd include this one and not the five others. That doesn't uh, go with me. Uh, but since you ask, I would say that if I had to pick a favorite musical, as I've already mentioned earlier, I think it would be a dead heat between Pal Joey and Follies. Um, mm -hmm. But, as I say, it's, it, it, this goes against my grain because I know full well that there are other things that I really like just as much. And now what else? Uh, play, did you say? Mm -hmm. Uh, f how far back are we going here? Uh, in in, your, in your, your experience in the theater? Since Sh I've been shows, in, shows that you've seen. Since I've seen. Well, as I say, there have been a couple of Lanford Wilson's things that I enjoyed enormously. There have been a cu couple of Tennessee Williams's. There are the two last plays by Eugene O'Neill that I've enjoyed enormously. Um, and then there are a whole lot of foreign plays, which I'm not mentioning because right now I, my mind is on America. But I'm sure. I mean, there have been plays by Anoui, plays by Giroudou, plays by um, oh, Buchner, for example, which I think are absolutely magnificent. And how can I say one, really? As we come to the conclusion of our time talking with you, John, in, in ending on a lighter note, again referring to uh, this conversation you had with Time Out New York a few months ago, uh, you mentioned that you like to write poetry. Uh, but in these days, you write it only for a couple of people, one being your wife, the other being Yoko Ono. Can you tell us how that's come to pass? Well, that was a slight exaggeration because I've even written one to Michael Riedel on one of his birthdays. I, I, that started at New York Magazine where it was considered desirable, although it was the fashion when somebody was leaving. I didn't get this privilege, by the way, when I was leaving. But before that, when other people were leaving, there would be little parties given to them. And somebody would write a funny doggerel poem for that person. And quite often, I was the doggerelist of preference. And so I wrote some of these poems, and that got to be a habit. So I've been writing them for my wife's birthday. And then we somehow got, I don't know, somehow I got to be friends with Yoko Ono. It had to do with a good review I gave her years ago for something she did and meeting her again at a restaurant and then being invited to her place for dinner. And so it came about that I've written a few poems to her birth on her birthdays or whatever, Christmas cards and such. But I guess I've done it for other people too. That was an oversimplification on my part. And as a person who's spent basically a lifetime with a pen and you know, pad, so to speak, uh, writing. Have you ever been tempted to write a show itself? No, no, because I think, you know, uh, Robert Blake, when I was once many years ago on the Cabot show with him, questioned my, the propriety of my being a critic since I probably couldn't write a movie scenario or couldn't write a play. I don't know whether I could or couldn't, but I'm not interested in doing it. And I consider being a critic a full-time legitimate occupation. And just as you don't ask a, an architect whether he, could, whether he could also be a bricklayer, uh, I don't think I should be asked whether I can also write plays. Those are different things. 
you have three books out, John Simon on Music, John Simon on Film, and we've been referencing mostly John Simon on Theater. Any preference in your personal taste which you prefer attending more? Well, I like all of them because I've never held a job for very long that I didn't enjoy doing. But to me, writing about music, which is the youngest of my uh, fields, uh, is a little bit more amusing or stimulating simply because I haven't done it for quite so long. But the difference is, the difference is infinitesimal. And, the only, and maybe the difference is that in music I pick the uh, com- composers about whom I write, whereas in uh, plays or films I have to review whatever comes along. So, and believe it or not, I enjoy writing positive reviews, and all the music pieces are positive. Interesting you say, believe it or not. I believe it because I know that you love theater. Yeah. I presume you love film, you love music as well. Yes, I do. I do. And I don't make preferences. So talking about things positive, we leave on a positive note and say for Downstage Center, John Simon, thanks so much for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks, John. For the American Theater Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the media and educational work of the American Theater Wing is available online on demand for free from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John von Susten for Downstage Center. That's a wrap, and thank you.